Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 100, The Last Outpost. Welcome into another riveting edition of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we take a good long look at a Star Trek story, trying to suss out the messages, morals, and meanings presented, and whether they and the stories themselves hold up today. You know, John, a lot of people ask, uh, well, people ask from time to time why we don't do a video show. Do they? Yeah, I guess, I guess they do. Yeah, yeah. and I don't, I, I think the reason is because we are humans. Oh, mm. U-G-L-Y, we ain't got no alibi, we ugly, except, you know, <laughs> we, we do have an alibi, it's because we are humans with our yeah. tiny little ears and our, you know, you know, teeny tiny noses. Humans just, they, they offend every sense. Oh, man. They it really is, do. It is twisted. It, it, it's amazing that we were able to climb out of the uh, primordial ooze that we apparently climbed out of. And don't even get me started on our women with their no. clothes. Oh, ah, barbarian. Just, I know. So, so there's your answer. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, and, uh, and Ken, you so cleverly set up the fact that today we're talking about the last outpost, and it is the introduction of the Ferengi to the Star Trek universe. And, I, uh, I, I yeah. am clever for a human. <laughs> for a human, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that brings us to, uh, where are we now? We're at the fourth episode in the first season of Next Gen. And um, uh, yeah, as I mentioned, uh, our introduction to the Ferengi and actually one actor who we will see play a Ferengi later on. Um, and it, it's just uh, just a rip roaring good time of an episode, right? Well, we'll find out a little bit later. <laughs> so. You know, there are probably people who already want to tell us right now. And of course, they can't because, you mm-hmm. know, we're in the middle of something. But if they do want to tell us at some point what they think of this episode or any other episodes or, you know, just their general thought on humans, uh, there are a number of ways to get in touch with us. Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. The handle in all of those places is Mission Log Pod. They can, of course, call us. Actually, why don't I tell them? You can, of course, call us, 323-522-5641. You can email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com. We have two cool places for you to check out online. There is, of course, our website, missionlogpodcast.com, and... We are proudly featured, or featured proudly, on trekmovie.com. So lots of places to listen to us there. Remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Ken, I can't wait to get into trivia for this episode. I can't wait to get into trivia either. Awesome. Well, here we go. Um, We have to get one thing straight right away. Okay. Since this is Mission Log and we are playing by Mission Log rules, this is the first time we have ever heard of or seen Ferengi. And hey, as far as we know, this is exactly what the fearsome Ferengi will be like forever, (laughs) assuming that they keep coming back. And we assume that they will come back. We we, we don't know, but, but we assume. And after all, it was intended that the Ferengi would be the big bad, the main adversary for all of TNG. Is that kind true? Of the way that the, yeah, yeah, kind of the way that the Klingons uh, would have been and were the main bad guy for TOS. Uh, Next Gen would have had the Ferengi. That is so fascinating, and we have to come back to that later. <laughs> we will. We will. Um, now, I did mention that we have at least one actor who shows up again. Armin Shimmerman uh, appears here as one of the Fringe. He is awfully good, and uh, I, I sure hope that uh, he gets to do more Star Trek later on. That would be very nice. Um, 
Ferengi, by the way, is essentially the Persian word Ferengi, uh, excuse my Persian, uh, which means foreigner, or more precisely, it means European. So that is a little play on that word. Now, this episode, The Last Outpost, was written by Herbert Wright. He has a total of four writing credits for Next Gen. And uh, he did a rewrite on David Gerald's Blood and Fire, which was never filmed until much later by the independent series Star Trek Phase Two, a.k.a. New Voyages. Uh, the original story draft was by, and I know that I'm going to get this wrong, Richard Kresmin. Sounds good. Uh, this is his only filmed Star Trek credit. Now, Richard Cola is the director, and uh, this is his only Star Trek credit, but it is very much worth mentioning that he directed the pilot for Gene Roddenberry's The Questor Tapes. Um, it was shot in 1974, didn't make it out of the pilot stage, but of course, uh, there is a lot of Star Trek DNA in there. Cast members included Major Barrett Roddenberry and Walter Koenig. Uh, the script was co-written by Gene Roddenberry and Gene Kuhn. So, um, and, uh, of course, it is worth mentioning that the character of Data uh, shares a bit of conceptual uh, DNA with Questor from that original series. I was going to say, wasn't Questor fully functional? <laughs> yes, he was. Yeah. Yes, he was. That yeah. is a line from the Questor tapes. Although that uh, that scene where Questor gets intimate with a human female was uh, cut out by the censors at the time. And uh, what we saw in The Naked Now and Next Gen was a little tip of the hat to that moment. Um, a couple of things that show up in this episode, the Chinese finger trap. Well, I was kind of intrigued by this, Ken, and uh, I discovered that it is either an ancient test imposed by Chinese emperors on courts and members of their courts, or, or it is a silly gag sold by toy shops starting around the late 19th century. So one, uh, one of those or the other, or somewhere in between, you... Uh, you can make your best guess. Uh, the Art of War now, and that is not in question by Sun Tzu, 6th century BC. Um, it is not just a thing that you would find on the desk of every executive and lawyer in the 80s and 90s. Um, it is known for its detail and logic. Uh, it, it's a text that requires thorough analysis of the enemy, as well as the terrain and all environmental conditions. It places a very high value on quick decisive victory for minimal economic loss, and it sees war overall as a necessary evil. And uh, one actor they do want to point out here, uh, Daryl Enriquez, a, a prolific character actor. He plays Portal 63 in today's show. Um, we have seen him before as the Romulan representative in Star Trek VI. And he was also in one of my favorite movies, The Right Stuff, playing the reporter from Life magazine. I got to say two things about him really quickly. Yeah. Maybe it's my um maybe it's my Apple News life that I live and in, in the other part of my uh, podcast living. Mm -hmm. Dead ringer for Angela Arendt in this episode. <laughs> and if you don't know who that is, look it up and then watch the episode again. You'll be like, wow, I can't see anything else now. Nice. And uh, the other thing, uh, Portal 63, mm -hmm. that's the uh, that's my level 42 cover band. <laughs> In honor of this being our 100th episode, I have decided to make a drastic character change, as characters on 100th episodes often do. I am either going to quit my job and open that little bar or shop I've always dreamed about, or I'm going to have a child. 
find out which after this. Prologue. The Enterprise is chasing a Ferengi ship that stole a thing from a place. If they catch up with them, it'll be cool since no one's ever seen a Ferengi ship, nor a Ferengi. Plus, they'll get their thing back. Angling through a nearby solar system, the Enterprise reads a power surge on the Ferengi ship. It fires twice on the Enterprise, doing next to no damage. Captain Picard decides to not return fire, but instead to fall back a bit as to not spook them. But the Enterprise does not fall back. It's pulled closer to its opponent, apparently by some unknown weapon wielded by the Ferengi. And suddenly the Enterprise is losing power on every level. It appears the Ferengi have the Enterprise trapped and helpless. Act 1. Things seem to have gone from bad to worse during the opening credits. The bridge can't even get in touch with engineering. Riker and Geordi go down to see what's what down there. As for the Ferengi, Deanna Troy, ship's counselor and super empath, can't even get a read on their emotional state. If they can drain the Enterprise of power and shield their emotions, they may be much more advanced than the Federation has suspected. Quizzing data about them, Picard and crew find little is known about the Ferengi. The best analogy data can find is Yankee traders, people who sailed the seas looking for new mercantile and territorial opportunities, occupying themselves with profit above all other motives. Down in engineering, Jordi and Riker think they've figured out a way to escape the almost constant tug of the Ferengi ship. Their idea is neat, though ultimately doomed to failure. We won't spend nearly as much time on it as they do. When they think it's going to work, though, Picard gets a little blustery. Oi, Ferengi, give us back that thing you stole. Comms close, the captain and his first officer are feeling some pretty good feelings about what they think is about to happen. Sometimes, Picard muses, the best way to fight is not to be there because their plan is to bolt. Riker agrees, saying, He will triumph who knows when to fight and when not to fight. Ah, Sun Tzu. Then the Enterprise pulls what might have been called the LaForge maneuver. If it had worked, they go nowhere, though, and now something is reading every file the Enterprise has in its memory banks. Can the Ferengi be that advanced? Counselor Troy says, Hey, you know... We've been paying so much attention to the Ferengi, we haven't given the planet that we're orbiting a bit of thought. What would Sun Tzu say? Picard pulls senior staff in for a quick what-should-we-do conference. Yar and Worf surprise everyone by saying they should fight. Picard shoots the shooting idea down. Troy says they should talk to the Ferengi, only this time say something interesting. Picard goes with the interesting conversation idea. Let's talk about surrender. Act 2. After a bit more sitting around, Ferengi Damon Tarr says, Look, we are so not going to offer unconditional surrender. Picard has dodged whatever passes for a bullet in the 24th century, since he'd been talking about the Enterprise surrendering to the Ferengi, not vice versa. So something has both ships held captive. Only the Ferengi haven't figured that out yet. Since they're both sitting ducks, Picard figures, why not learn more about the Ferengi? He says any further communication will have to be done with the aid of visuals, giving the Federation and Star Trek watchers worldwide their first look at the big-eared, bulbous-foreheaded Ferengi race. Damon Tarr agrees to give back what they stole, plus he'll offer up the lives of the ship's second officers, in keeping with the Ferengi code. Picard says he'll think about it. Stand by. In conference, Data has dug up some interesting history on the planet below. It's part of the Takan Empire, a long-dead civilization of trillions. They built planets, though not nearly as groovy as the Magratheans. The planets built by the Takan were sort of defensive outposts, super powerful, able to move stars. 
The probe launched by the Enterprise to investigate the planet shows that it is what's holding both the Enterprise and the Ferengi ship. Picard thinks it's time to investigate the planet. He'll send Riker and an away team, and he'll invite the Ferengi to join them. Act 3. Power on the Enterprise is dropping to critical levels. The Ferengi are a bit perturbed that Picard Captain tricked them into thinking that they were the cause of the trouble. The Ferengi know it's the planet below that's holding them. Picard suggests they investigate together. It takes a bit of dickering, but they agree. They'll each beam down to prearranged coordinates, the Enterprise using its transporter, the Ferengi using theirs. Riker thinks the whole thing smells fishy, a feeling seconded by Troy. So he's headed down loaded for bear with Yar, LaForge, Data, and Worf. Oh, and when they get down there, there may not be a way to talk to the Enterprise and there won't be a way to get back. Okay, thanks, Energize. On the planet, no one ends up where they're supposed to be. No member of the Enterprise away team, anyway. Riker goes about trying to get the band back together. He finds Data and LaForge, but before they can find the rest, they're attacked and immobilized by a Ferengi energy whip. Act 4. Six hours have passed, and things are getting tough on the Enterprise. Temperatures dropping, breathable air is running out. Tough. On the planet, the away team is still unconscious, including Worf, who the Ferengi are dragging onto the scene. The Ferengi reveal themselves as double-dealing, accusing the now-conscious Riker of attacking them. Then everyone is conscious and attacking the Ferengi. Four to three. The Enterprise away team still manages to lose. The Ferengi are about to kill them until Tasha Yar shows up with a phaser. Now stand the heck down. Quick aside, the Ferengi are really disgusted by Yar. Oh, not her personally, but the way she's treated by the Federation. The Federation works with its females, arms them, forces them to wear clothes. Disgusting. On board the Enterprise, things still suck. On the planet, well, here's something new. Annoyed at having to keep the Ferengi at bay, the away team decides to stun them with their phasers. But the phaser fire is pulled away from the Ferengi and into these great big crystals on the planet's surface. The same happens with bolts from the Ferengi energy weapon. The whole planet is set up as an energy collector, apparently for putting on a light show or something, because one is starting right now. Actually, a great big head appears. Kind of like in The Wizard of Oz, or Star Trek V, the movie that hasn't happened yet. The big electric head demands to know whether they are barbarians. We'll find out in two and two. Act 5. Time's up. Who answers the challenge? The Ferengi suggest, Riker do it. Cool with the portal. This is Portal 63, by the way. So, you want into the Takan Empire, huh? Yeah, about that, says Riker. The Takan Empire's kinda dead. Portal's not buying it, and the Ferengi think that they see an opening. See, Portal, these humans lie. We, on the other hand, would love to join your empire, so just give us back control of our ship. We'll kill the humans. Then we can talk about what we can do for you. These are weighty charges. The portal wants to know if the humans will give themselves up for judgment. Can do, says Riker. Fire away. But wait, say the Ferengi. There's more. They keep technology from underdeveloped worlds. They pass up opportunities for profit. They wear gold. They are total barbarians. Plus, have you seen this? Clothes on women? Ew. Well, as long as they're making the case, Riker says the Federation has a lot more faults. Data points out that at times they've allowed civilizations to fall. They've allowed the strong and violent to overcome the weak. They've canceled insanely good science fiction shows 15 episodes in. 
The portal is convinced. Both the Enterprise representatives and the Ferengi are barbarians. Just one question. This one's to the tall guy. For the lives of you and your crew, here is my riddle. He will triumph. Who knows when to fight and when not to fight? Then the portal, which turned into a guy with a sort of scythe, by the way, comes at him, swinging his scythe. Riker stands stock still, facing fate with composure. The answer to the riddle? Fear is the true enemy, the only enemy. And now the portal is totally Riker's pal. So tell me about this Sun Tzu. Sure thing, says Riker, but can you power my ship back up, please? Done and done, says Portal 63. No, and you want me to kill these Ferengi? But then, says Riker, they wouldn't learn. He says he sees some of what his people used to be in what the Ferengi are today, so maybe we don't kill them. Mind blown, the Portal agrees. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go back to sleep for forever, maybe. The end. Uh, Ken, you know, we, we didn't make a big deal out of the, uh, at least in the recap, the Chinese finger trap. And I just have to say that I hate it when the kids on the Enterprise leave their metaphors laying all over the ship. <laughs> uh, Boy, you know, I understand now why Picard, because apparently there's no order with children on the Enterprise. I mean, no, originally he no. said, oh, they gave me a ship full of kids and I don't really do well with kids. So you mm-hmm. watch out for the kids for me. I really had no idea that Riker was going to be babysitting. Right. And it's right. it's not important right. enough to mention in the recap, but they are going no, no, no. they're going to like you know the place where they discuss weighty matters. This is like when the captain and his senior officers need to go someplace. They go into this room, right? Yeah, yeah. And Riker has to go ahead of them to make sure there are no kids playing in there. Well, the kids love the uh, the gold plated uh, Star Trek toys. Well, who so doesn't? maybe they should have their own down in the nursery. Or, I, I yeah. believe you still have a box of gold plated Star Trek toys. <laughs> I do, I do. At your ancestral home. So I mean, uh-huh. you know, don't make fun of the kids. I'm just no, saying. No, I understand it fully. I'm, yeah. I'm saying, you know, I was under the impression that that it sort of decided where you can go on the Enterprise by the Enterprise. So let's say I walk mm-hmm. up to a door and that door is to, you know, engineering or top secret stuff that Ken's not allowed to touch or something like mm-hmm. that, right? Mm-hmm. The computer on the Enterprise should be smart enough to not let me in. But right. kids, eh, you know, kids, they got to learn. They're, they're small. So, yeah. <laughs> so the, 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 the sensors aren't as, aren't as accurate with I, them, maybe. I, I guess that's it. Lousy yeah. with children. Lousy. I know. Yeah. I know. Um, in both meanings of the word. Um, I didn't say that, but go ahead. <laughs> by the way, the, the Ferengi ship now, that thing is huge. Mm-hmm. And and I really have to wonder what all is going on all over there. I mean, it, it's an interesting design that you have a lot of exposed portholes right in front. That mm-hmm. seems like a bad design, but everybody gets a great view. Um yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, that thing is massive. And, you know, you look at the Enterprise and, and it, it ha- if it hasn't been explicitly stated in the show, at least in the writer's guide, we know that there's about a thousand people on board that compared to the 400 plus that were on the old Enterprise. So, um, and the Ferengi, yeah. the Ferengi ship is about the same size, it looks like. It was about the same size, but it seems very, very dense. Like yeah, a, just a lot of portholes, and I, I just picture Ferengi all over the place. In Their that big thing. ears pressed to the window. <laughs> yes, <laughs> black exactly. things are just creating a giant suction on the window of the mm-hmm. uh, of the portals. Yeah, mm-hmm. if they could stop moving, these are these are these are some frenetic Ferengi. Right, <laughs> right. Oh yeah. Also a band uh, name, by the way. I was just about to say so that. That's my good. that's my Warp Eleven cover band. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Shout out to Warp Eleven. Warp Eleven dot com. Um, I, I, I'm a little disappointed 
at the idea in this that the the whole French culture is sort of a relic, and we're going to talk a little later in the show, I think, about nationalism and, mm-hmm. and the idea of countries and continents. Um, well, but, no, yeah. it was more of a relic, right, um, in the last episode, I think. Well, yeah, we yeah, so two, so two in a row here. Yeah. Well, I think, well, we, we should get back into it later. I didn't hmm. feel like the, the French were any more of a relic than any other nation on Earth in this episode. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I'm just saddened by that because I love their food. Oh, just the but, French. Uh, oh, okay. Well, sure. Yeah. But but uh, Captain Picard swore. I know. He said in French what cannot be said on family-friendly TV in English. Um, well, there are many things that can be. He didn't say them all. <laughs> no. But, no, yeah. he, did, he didn't go through the list, I the, know, the yeah. George Carlin list. Yeah. But he said a big one that cannot yeah, he be got, said. He got one of the ones on the George Carlin list. He did. Yeah. He did. Little, I was really surprised. Surprising. Yeah. And, and it's not loud. He's not like running down the hall yelling <laughs> it. But, um, <laughs> He's not throwing it against the wall where like everywhere no. it goes, if that's the kind of thing you're talking about. No. But yeah, it was it was really weird. That's like, yeah. yeah. And also, I mean, I guess they were trapped, but that really does step it up a level, right? It does. If, it I mean, because anybody, although, you know. Data said that it was like a dead language last episode, mm-hmm. so maybe nobody mm-hmm. knows it. Maybe he's the only one who does. That makes me sad, too. Um, <laughs> Yar and Worf still very much the shoot first yep. uh, uh, multiple times yep. in this episode. And, um, and and interesting, again, that in an episode of Star Trek this early on in Next Gen is another situation where the violent answer is the wrong one, and it's the top of the org chart that is basically having to lay this out again. No, 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 no. Put the phasers down. <laughs> How many times do I, you remember what happened last time you did that? You got frozen. Although I, I do, I will say I do like the sort of, okay, fight or flight, but have you considered fight and flight? I mean, there, mm-hmm. there was a little, that's, that's thinking outside the box a tiny bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's starting very violently in the box. Yeah. <laughs> but right. then quickly jumping out of the box. And yeah, that was not, not necessarily the most um, heroic course of action suggested right i thought it was interesting that they had a lot of information about the takan empire uh even though no one has any information about the takan empire um it was kind of cool you know, I, I thought the the visual effect was great mm-hmm. uh that in the conference room they brought up that kind of 3d hologram yeah. which you know again in 1987 on a tv budget is a great looking effect yeah you would think that for all the information that they had and very specific information, like here are the dynasties, here's when they died out, but that they would also say, and by the way, that planet has a portal on it, which can entrap <laughs> ships and suck the energy <laughs> out of them. So stay away. And, you, you, know. you would think that. I'm also a little surprised that if they were, a, a, you know, that looked like a really massive star chart, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. the whole Takan Empire was taken down by one star going supernova. Yeah, that yeah. kind of, I, I, that was a little... And by the way, this is probably as geeky as we should get on that. <laughs> well, wait, but wait a minute. And, and see, now you brought up an interesting idea. Uh, now I'm uh, kind of fascinated by right. it. Okay. So let's say that the main star that went supernova maybe took out the seat of power for the Takan Empire. Right. And then maybe all these remnants of civilizations went away. So think about the fall of the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. where even though kind of the way I play it out in my head for comedy effect, I think there's one day Roman Empire wake up the next morning, no Roman Empire, just completely gone. <laughs> exactly. It didn't actually work out that way. You still had these other little seats of power all over the, the Mediterranean world right. and, and in the Middle East and in Europe. 
and it actually took several hundred years for that to kind of come apart. Well, now so. I want to read the novel because, I mean, here's the thing. It's possible that the Khan Empire sort of, you know, ran roughshod over the rest of the systems. Like maybe, uh, you know, Mm-mm. like everybody didn't have faster than light capability. Wow, we really should have stopped this like two minutes ago, you know? <laughs> so you're right. It's so still when, very interesting, though. Yeah. So when the Takan star goes supernova at that point, then the people who had... Yeah, we enter sort of an enforced dark ages. Well, we as, you know, citizens of the Takan Empire. Mm-hmm. And then we just, you know, write down stuff in our little books. And maybe someday some android somewhere will be able to scan it from someplace <laughs> and tell us everything about it. Right. Are there right. books? People will write to us and tell us if there are books. Are there books about the Takan Empire? And if there aren't, hands off, buddy. That's my property now. <laughs> It'll happen. Um, speaking of books... Uh, Riker is very much ready to uh, judge this book by its cover, and uh, pretty much everyone agrees with him when we're talking about the Ferengi. Mm-hmm. Um, and he actually says it, which I thought was interesting. You know, normally I'm not one to uh, you know jump to conclusions here, but I'm ready to jump to a conclusion. Yeah, we cannot trust these things at all. And well, when I say things, I mean Ferengi. <laughs> by Ferengi, <laughs> I mean things. Yeah, no, yes. I mean they. Well, they do pretty much show themselves to be double dealing right away. Mm-hmm. Not right away. So, well, I mean, they stole a thing. They stole a thing that didn't belong to them. So already, I mean, that that's a decent reason to not trust them, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah, then once we see them on the planet, they're like, oh, by the way, we're going to lie about everything that happens. So I mean, right. we, we are given to understand that these are not uh, not our pals, at least not at this point. Who knows though? Like the Klingons, we may one day be fast friends. We'll find out. You never know. Um, oh. Yeah. You, well, okay, so you've mentioned the finger puzzle a few times now. Is that something you want to come back to later, or do you want to just dispense with it right away? I think we can dispense with it right away. How do you feel about Data and the finger puzzle? I thought it was a bit goofy that he wouldn't just break it, because um, that's what I did the first time I got stuck in a Chinese <laughs> finger puzzle. I think it was like five or something, right. and, and I just I, I freaked out, and so I just pulled my hands apart. So they're not that strong, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. as a five-year-old, I was not as strong as Data, yeah. And so I, you know, the, the idea that he sits there confused, I'm wondering, is it part of his programming that he can't just break stuff to get through stuff? I mean, that he has to try to figure it out and then super advanced, you know, can look up, can remember, can figure out, can do, uh, mm. can't think, oh, I, I should just push my fingers together and then that thing will, you know, come apart. Well, that is the interesting thing because, uh, yeah, I would think that in data's programming, break stuff is sort of a last resort. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Uh, that would be the last answer to something. And you would think that with Data's super analytical mind, he'd kind of look at the structure of that finger trap and say, oh, okay, well, the, the, the overlapping pieces of this stretch in one direction and then right. they compress in the other direction. And uh, that would then make the holes on either end bigger and I could get my finger. Yeah, you'd think that this would all be relatively easy to figure out for him. All of that said, I thought it was really well played. I thought, it, yeah, was, I thought yeah, it, was, yeah. it was a cute moment. It was it was well done. And it actually, I, I, I have a feeling that it was throwaway, but it raised a lot more questions about data for me. Like, you know, is, is he sort of, is his whole thing of trying to be more human, does that actually, are there parameters set up where he has to be dumb occasionally? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, look, I'm, I'm trapped in this thing. How would a human get out of this thing? Right. If he's a five-year-old me, he breaks it. But, you know, <laughs> right. who right. knows? I mean, it's, it just, it it struck me as i don't know it was amusing i will say that 
it, it was amusing, and I, I felt a little weird about it just in the context of the story because it was so obvious, a, a, a little physical metaphor to throw in there for the overall arc of the story. Mm-hmm. But then I kind of forgave it because at least you had a little bit of payoff at the end referencing yeah. at least uh, Scotty beaming, beaming over the tribbles to the Klingon ship. You had Riker beaming over a box of uh, finger traps to the Ferengi ship. And again, I want to see that episode. <laughs> you know actually it's just five minutes after this episode they fly in the Tacon <laughs> portal right. planet because they can't right. and they're they not can't use the controls anymore yeah, exactly because yeah. they're just like Jordy at the end of the episode right right yeah. right um it is interesting that we learn here that the Federation has, uh, as you mentioned in the recap withheld technology from developing worlds mm-hmm. and allowed civilizations to fall and allowed the strong to overtake the weak. Um, I think that these are things that we will find throughout our continued journey into the morals, meanings, messages of Star Trek. Is that, you know, when does at least the Enterprise crew or other aspects of the Federation that we'll meet allow that to happen? And how do you justify it ethically, morally? So um, it, it was kind it's, of cool the way Riker spelled it out here. Well, it was actually Data who spelled that out. But yeah. Oh, you're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is interesting. I mean, again, we get more of an addressing of the Prime Directive than we got in the first season of mm-hmm. our, actually, than most of TOS, yeah. honestly. And, and we get all that without even mentioning it or hitting it on the head. It's just, yeah, so we have this thing that we do. And sometimes it's awesome and sometimes it's not. But it's a thing, mm-hmm. it's a thing that we do. And so, you know, as long as you're faulting us for stuff that we do, that's one. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, as Picard said, if, if we're going to be damned, let us be damned for the actions that we do take, you know? Yes. Um, uh, for being who we are. Um, it, it, I wanted to mention something here because we've gotten a few emails and uh, and messages about it on Twitter and elsewhere. Um, we get a little more of that, if not flirtation, than the familiarity between Crusher and Picard. Um, and I'm, I'm we, sorry for clarity's sake, Doctor Crusher. Doctor Crusher, yes, very good. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I typically refer to Wesley just as Wesley, yes. but, or, um, or Wesley. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Um, but we we got more than a few comments from listeners asking about that. Were they an item? Was Picard really Wesley's dad? And I thought I'd just address it here uh, because it's easier to do it here than answering every question the same way in an email um i feel like uh their flirtation was played out nicely and it's maybe not the most subtle thing in the world but they always sort of reel it back in a a moment will happen and they reel it back in and yes i might have been somebody who in 1987 1988 thought oh interesting are they going to get together um did they have a thing in the past is picard really wesley's dad and now i see that the answer is very clearly no because that would have been a huge jump the shark moment it can't be lois and clark where then the whole series just falls apart as soon as Lois Lane knows that Clark Kent is Superman and then they move in together. Um, I, I gotta say, I don't, I don't think it's decided to this point, whether they have a thing in the past, it's obviously have feelings for each other, but, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I, I mean, you can easily explain away um, any paternal feelings Picard has for Wes by the fact that he brought his dad home, you know, in a bag. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's not, I, I guess I get people maybe wanting that, and I could certainly see that you know, there's got to be a boatload of fan fiction about all of it. 
I know, right, right. Um, but I, I think it's a much more interesting and and deep and nuanced idea that Picard lives with this thing, mm-hmm. the, this idea that this tragic event that he basically bestowed upon this family. And then that informs their relationship from that point out. So if Picard really hates kids and doesn't want them on his ship, well, here's a situation that that twists that around, that, that really makes him reexamine that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's the more interesting road to go down instead of just say, and then they fell in love. And you actually just used two words that I was I was going to say. This is also a chance for Picard to constantly examine the road not taken. It's in his mm-hmm. face. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you mm-hmm. had you – had, um, I guess you kind of had Kirk doing that in Was It the Enemy Within? I know I keep referencing that one where he's like, oh, I've got a ship and I want a girl, but, you know, the ship's my girl and I can't go on walks on the beach and, you know, all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he kind of considers it for a second. And I guess you could say he's considering that because Rand is there. But, I mean, what you've actually got is is Picard's alternate history walking around the Enterprise. Yeah. Right? He could have been married. He could have had a kid. And there, right there, is what that could have looked like. Right. Huh. All right. Well, I'm still this guy, but wow, look at that. Okay, but I'm. Mm, I mean, there's there's an interesting. There is the potential that that uh, that he can examine um, what might have been as he goes about his business, as opposed to you know living to be like an eighty year old guy going, what the heck happened? Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's why that's such a good choice uh, for for how that plays out. I gotta ask you one other question. Yeah. Uh, a couple of weeks ago. During mm-hmm. the Naked Now, you were bothered by how quickly Dr. Crusher just came up with a cure for what ailed them. Like, right. she, she didn't have a cure, she didn't have a cure, then she did. Yeah. Uh, right. Were you happier this week spending a ton of time on a solution that ended up not working? <laughs> are, you, are you talking about the, the breakaway to warp? I'm talking about the LaForge maneuver, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Which, by the way, they only say that now to raz him. They only say that right, now to upset right. him. Uh, why don't we try a LaForge maneuver? Stop <laughs> it, you guys! Uh. <laughs> right. It was a good idea. Yeah, right. yeah. No, it, here's what I did like about that, actually. I mean, it, it plays out a little weird. I'll I'll give you that, yes. <laughs> but here's what I liked about it, is that we got all of that, we got all of that technical action and stuff on the ship out of the way. And we yeah. did it early, like Act 1, Act 2, and it's just done. Mm-hmm. And then we realized that, that the actual story takes place elsewhere. It, so I like that little bit of a fake out. It is a good dramatic... Um... Um, that thing, because I can't think of a, I can't think of the right word for that right now. Oh well, yeah, I mean the the idea and and had it worked. Oh look, they get away. Oh look, now there's going to be a chase with the Ferengi if they get away. It right. might end up in a firefight. You know, it could have been all those other things. But I right. like to fake out that it's actually something else. Well, it also really illustrates their hopelessness. I mean, it would. It, I mean, it, it would be mm-hmm. much weaker. And I think we actually did this a couple of times in the original series as well. It would be much weaker to go. Well, there's just nothing we can do. Yeah, I mean because. But there was nothing they could do. But to see them, you know, come up with an idea and try, I mean, that actually adds to sort of the hopelessness of their situation. Um, I just, it just made, it just kind of amused me that it's like, oh, look, we're going to spend some time going, "Eh, it's not going to (laughs) work. The the short answer to your question, yes, I, I like this much better. The thing that bothered me about the Dr. Crusher moment was just that we talked about it. She said, oh, yeah, well, I, I found this thing. Or Picard, actually. Uh, is it Picard? Yes, yeah, Picard. Wait, says, wait, absolutely. Wait, wait. If people want to hear what bothered you about the Naked Now. <laughs> they, can, they can go back I, and listen to the Naked highly Now. highly recommend they go back and listen to the Naked Now, yeah, indeed. Yeah. 
Unable to choose between opening a bar and having a child, I have decided to split the difference and open a bar for children. It's a naughty establishment. Call K through 10 forward. See what I did there? Ken, in the last segment, I talked about how we got some listener feedback about the uh, Picard and uh, Crusher relationship. And mm-hmm. yes, Dr. Crusher relationship. Um, <laughs> and we had another listener who brought up something uh, that I, I thought of just immediately upon watching this episode for the second time. <laughs> um, mm, immediately and, later. I like yes, it. Yes, yes. Immediately later. Um, something that this episode gets very right like in Encounter at Farpoint, is laying out the explanation for what kind of people we are in the 24th century, what our values are, um, how we are to behave when we face the unknown. And um, I was really into that the first time I saw The Last Outpost. I I thought it was cool. Riker gets to have his moment kind of doing the Kirk speech with, uh, with the portal. And then the second time I watched it, I kind of had a problem with the portal character and his test of Riker because it really just seemed like in the end, after they went through the test and they're having this discussion, you could look at it as well. uh, You look like us and you sound like us and you're not as fidgety or off-putting as those other guys. Um, Yeah, we like you better than them. And the way that our listener put it was in terms of uh, Star Trek VI, the the dinner table scene, uh, that this seemed like a homo sapiens only club, uh, as the Klingons described the Federation. And that gave me that gave me a little bit of pause. Well, except they don't look like them. That's the thing. Um, it was a weird sort of throwaway line. But now that you mention this, mm-hmm. it, it actually means a lot more when the portal goes from being just a big electric head to being a guy standing there. Mm-hmm. He actually looks down and says uh, something like, oh, bipedal, interesting. Or, oh, bipedal, great. I can't remember what what, what it was. But, oh, I, I, but I, I got the impression that he was actually being built based on the people that he was facing. Oh, see, I did not take away that impression at all. I, the, the, the bipedal line I thought was coming from one of the landing party uh, away team or the Feringia. I didn't, I didn't get that as coming from the portal. Because yeah, I thought the portal was looking down at himself, sort of assessing like who he was for this particular incarnation mm-hmm. or what mm-hmm. he was for this particular incarnation. Well, see, and I, I will say that even furthermore, I thought that the, the, the portal is a device and the the big electric head uh which i, I love their early work in the 70s um the, <laughs> my yellow cover band <laughs> yes the, the, the big electric head <laughs> was the device and when we actually manifest the portal as a guy that is a representation of what either the Takan or this member of the Takan empire looked like hmm so that that's how I that's interesting. I, I wonder how other people saw it, and if you saw it in a different way, you know how to contact us. Um, but yeah, that uh, that's wow. Yeah, wow. I, I mean, yeah. maybe I'm reading that wrong, but I was that was the impression that I got. Of course, it doesn't make any sense then why he has sort of a human face when he first shows up. Right, right, right. But yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I got the impression that he was being built based on he was sort of playing to his audience again. Actually, like the Wizard of Oz. And I mean, you, just, yeah, you, using the same special the, effects you can get at Shakari. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, let's save those because we might need them in a couple of years. Yeah. So um, uh, that was something that I thought was kind of um, – our listener brought up a good point when he said that because mm-hmm. it did seem like, well, here's the test and you're either going to fail the test or pass the test. And had it been a Ferengi, the Ferengi would have jumped on him like the feral animals they were portrayed to be in that original skirmish with uh, with the away team, which I found to be kind of amusing. Um but after they win, it, it's sort of the, the portal just saying, like, yeah, you, you think like us, so we like you. We don't like those other guys. Hey, we don't like those other guys so much that if you want us to destroy them, I'll do that for you. <laughs> so it was, you know, and, and thankfully, just Riker. part of the package. Yeah, yeah. And, and thankfully, Riker does exactly the right thing, which is to say, no, 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 no. Yeah, let, let me tell you a little more about us. Um, we we live with the consequences of our actions, and we'll, you know, we'll hold ourselves to that standard, even if it means that uh, they are dangerous and continue to be a threat. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that, I mean, uh, yes. It's so weird. I mean, that's such a Star Trek idea that it's it almost seems like not even worth mentioning. Yeah, I mean, but I guess it is, especially because there would be people who it would have been new to at the time, and certainly today. I mean, it's it's probably it's probably actually more of an important message today than it was in '87 when this was airing, mm-hmm. because there seems to be, um, as you and I record, there seems to be a little bit more hostility towards the other, whoever yeah. whoever the yeah. other happens to be, and not yeah. the worst that we've seen in our history, but oh, you know, give it time. It's yeah. <laughs> it's kind of. Uh, yeah, so I, I mean, it is it is an important message. What's weird is it's a message that's so steeped in Star Trek. I mean that, I mean it's it's the Balok thing again, right? Balok's gonna kill us. Mm-hmm. Balok is almost dead. We go back and save Balok because that's what we do. Eighty years before this happened, so yeah, now, yeah, yeah. now even though the the Ferengi, you know, were were perfectly willing to let uh, the Takan uh, portal kill the Enterprise, or perfectly willing to kill the Enterprise for the Takan Empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're still like, yeah, that's, you know, we might have done that at one time, but we're better than that now. So, you know, let it ride. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the portal appreciates that Riker has an open mind and we're sort of, you know, this is a very clear parallel to what you were saying with uh, Balok with the Corbin Might Maneuver. Um, but we've pushed it again, 80 years. We're talking about something a little different here. And, and, uh, it, he shows that Riker is able to face fear. Riker shows that he is able to face fear. And these are all very good qualities. And it's one of those sort of let's pat ourselves on the back moments for being human, for being better humans as portrayed in this piece of fiction, particularly if the Ferengi are representative of 20th century humans. Um, I know that that has been discussed in interviews with some of the writers and creators, and we will talk about that as the show goes on, uh, but they actually say it in this episode. Picard says they remind me of us a few centuries ago. Well, right. that's us <laughs> right now. <you> know? <laughs> well, <laughs> Yankee traders would actually be the 18th and 19th century. So, I mean, theoretically, we're a little bit further along than that. Well, theoretically, but that's another thing that I picked up out of this episode that is not necessarily a message, but the point of view here is anti-capitalist when you come from the enterprise. Um, At least that is the understood premise of everyone on board the enterprise. Wow, I'm about to blow your mind. I disagree. 
Really? Yeah, it's not anti-capitalism. It's it's anti-profit at all cost. I mean, what, mm-hmm. what 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 what? I mean, the the real killer of the whole thing. So yeah, they sailed the seas and they were looking for mercantile you know opportunities and territorial opportunities. And everybody's like, oh, that's kind of uh, that's that's a little backwards. But mm-hmm. then data says, but you know, their real guiding force is caveat emptor, buyer beware. Yeah. And then right. it's like, oh no, you didn't. And that's <laughs> that, right, at that right. point they're like, oh okay, you know, I understood like trying to make a buck, but 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 trying to make a buck by getting it over on somebody. No, mm-hmm. that's okay. Now they've gone too far. So it didn't strike me as as one hundred percent anti capitalism. This from mm-hmm. the guy who always says there's no money in Star Trek. It did not strike <laughs> me as 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 it being completely anti capitalism. Um, but not being a jerk, it did seem to me was a big was a big part of it. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I, the, the, yeah. We we are clearly saying that the Fringe's attitude is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, not but, just not just for making money though, for making money at all cost. No, no, no. Yeah, I I, I get that. Um, but I do think that as they're having that discussion on the bridge, they're they're basically looking at. Our meaning, meaning us in the 20, 19th century, twentieth century, what have you, mm-hmm. uh, as that uh, say overemphasis on capitalism as being wrong, and look how much better we are now for not being that. So yeah, it may just be a matter of degrees, but hmm. uh, okay, that, that is something that I picked up. I think we disagree more than you think we disagree. Yeah. It, it didn't really strike me as that much of a message. I mean, it seems to me. If we get an examination of the Ferengi going forward, and who knows whether or not we will, but if we get an examination of the Ferengi going forward, I mean, that might be a, a bit more of a of a nuanced kind of thing. I mean, to mm-hmm. me, it was just kind mm-hmm. of the, it was just kind of the uh, profit at all cost as opposed to profit thing. Yeah. Right. I want, I, honestly, I want to agree with you because, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I, I can't on, on this one, I think. Well, and I feel like they also get an, uh, I brought this up earlier a little bit, they get in a swipe at nationalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one understands the idea of Uncle Sam or the red, white, and blue. And, and this is really interesting that, that we don't understand nations necessarily in the future, but we do have still some kind of regionalism of some sort, or, or at least a, uh, a respect for history. You know, Picard has an accent that is English. <laughs> he has a French name. <laughs> right. Um, Picard also curses like a French sailor. He does. He yeah. does. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, he, so yeah, he, he's got that. Riker <laughs> is aware that Yankee traders are his forebears. Right. Um, people to varying degrees are aware of their histories, but they aren't aware of the idea of nations being a thing and be, being a a place that is bounded by a, a cultural and political identity. Um, and it's a little vague here. Well, I mean, I'm wondering, do, do you think that's true or do you think it's only true because we're dealing with a bunch of people from Earth? I mean, Data knows about all of it. Yar is not from Earth. Worf mm. is not from Earth. It's quite possible that Worf would be... Um, you know, having grown up in Kapla Village, <laughs> right. he might actually be like, oh, yes, Kapla, I did that I get. Our our colors were, of course, the blood of an elk and the blood of, well, whatever passes for an elk on Klingon. That's hard. Our, yeah. Our, yeah, whatever. Uh-huh. I, I'm not, my, my Klingon lore is, is bad. My yeah. point is, though, they may understand nationalism, but, you know, this actually goes back to the Homo Sapiens Club, except it's just an Earther First Club. 
Mm-hmm. I do love I do love the fact though that I mean even Picard is like dumb. I'm not dumb about it, but he's like, oh yes, the United States used red, white, and blue, whereas the French we use <laughs> blue, white, and red. Oh, well, properly. Oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Because that's. <clears throat> Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I guess, uh, okay, Wait, to that point. really then. quickly, though, he's also taken down a notch. Forgive me, I just realized he's also taken it down a notch. Like, So he's standing there waxing rhapsodic about how fantastic France is or how fantastic mm-hmm. the French were. Mm-hmm. And Data's like, yeah, and the Italians use these colors and the Germans use these colors. And, they, and, right. and Picard's like, hey, shut up. Yeah, yeah, we're not talking Look, about hey, that. France, yeah. okay, France. <laughs> ah, never mind, let's just go on. Yeah, right. I mean, so, I mean, even their nationalist moments, I mean, because actually they, they both kind of get their comeuppance on that, right? Because Riker's like, oh, Yankee trader, I like the sound of that. Mm-hmm. And Data's like, mm-hmm. mm, no, you don't. You, you right. th- I understand why you think you do, but he, he doesn't mean it in a good way. <laughs> right. And then Picard's like, ah, yes, me. And, and Data's like, and everybody else. <laughs> and then yes. Picard's like, fine, no one then, let's go on. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I, well, you know, maybe to to put a finer point on it. So so let's just say that it is a non-Earth uh, or non-Earthling misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. That they, they, someone from the outside looks at Earth and goes, oh, yeah, it's Earthling. They're human beings. They're, they're this one thing. And maybe if it's like you or I and you go to a country that you've never been to before, um, and let, let's just say that you've You've never been to uh, not even a country. Let's just say New York. Uh, let's just say let's just say I go to New York City and I have no idea that New York City is divided into boroughs mm-hmm. and each borough has its own sort of identity and its own cultural makeup and its own you know even within that tight regional confine different food. So you know, and I just look at it and I go, oh, it's New York. It's just, this is all part of New York, and those are New right. Yorkers. And somebody from Queens goes, no, 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 I'm from Queens. They're from Brooklyn. Yeah, you know, I can't, I can't believe you're actually going to New York for this. You're from the South. I am. Yeah. I am also from the South. Yep. And mm-hmm. people think that that means one thing. You're, you're a Southerner. Yeah. L- little known fact: people from Tennessee hate people from Alabama. No, mm. I'm kidding. That's not true. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I mean, it's yeah. I mean, it's it's. I mean, I actually think the South is a much bigger is a much better case for that than New York because I think people understand like Brooklyn and Manhattan, right? Mm. But south of the Mason Dixon line, and even as even as far as Kentucky, I would say, um, yeah. people look yeah. at the South and go, "Oh, the South," and now they think they know everything about you, uh, which is not not com- not completely true. Unlike right. people from New York, who are of course all exactly the same. Yeah, <laughs> but I am interested to see how this plays out because I, I know that as these shows go on, we will learn more about the the histories and ancestries of these characters and characters from other incarnations of Star Trek. But again, we're painting this picture of what the future of the Earth looks like and what are the things that we hang on to from now, the idea of regionalism, nationalism, cultural history, and what are the things that we get rid of? Because they don't work, or they, they they at least cause divisions among people that that shouldn't have divisions between them. So um, to me, this is a little taste of that. This is a little glimmer of at least setting the stage to say, in the future, we will have an identity, but it's not going to be the kind of identity that you know now, where you raise a flag and you say, this flag represents me. It's something else. So I like the idea that we... We start with this. Yes. 
right. Um, <laughs> um, I, I also found the negotiation between uh, Picard and Damon Tarr very interesting uh, because Picard is sort of failing at this negotiation. Horribly. Horribly. Damon Tarr is a very difficult being to negotiate with. Uh, Picard says, well, all civilized people recognize Gamatari for... As are a you saying that the Ferengi are not civilized, Picard, <laughs> Captain? <laughs> and, uh, wow, and then Picard says... right into that. I know, right, right. <laughs> and and <laughs> then he says, well, you know, they, uh, they stole this device to which Damon Tarr said, now you're calling us thieves? Well, yeah, yeah, Picard is calling you a thief. <laughs> Um, man, is that difficult. Um, but then they just have to find the common ground of, look, if we don't work together, neither of us get out of here. Okay. On that, we can agree. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that was a little pocket universe thing going on there. mm -hmm. That was a fun little moment. Um, should we talk about this kind of interesting moment where the, the enterprise is freezing to death Mm -hmm. and well, not the enterprise, but the people on it. Well, yeah, I, I use that to encapsulate the people within it. Yeah. Oh, well, are you running a temperature or are you running a fever, John? Come on, let's be specific. <laughs> oh, good, good, good. Thank that's you, what, that's what we call back. a callback. That's what yeah, that is. Yeah, there you go. Um, it, it seems to me, by the way, that they should be better prepared for that uh, eventuality. Mm. That, uh, you know, whether they, they use a phaser to light a fire on the bridge and all gather around to heat themselves. Um, but, yeah, uh, Dr. Crusher was going to give Wesley a sedative yeah. in his court. And Picard said, no, 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 no. No, he has a right to face death awake. Yeah. Wow. And, and then Crusher calls him out as if it's some kind of macho male thing, a male perspective. And he just says rubbish. And that's all we get of that scene. Yeah. And I, and I thought that was seriously dark and fascinating and uh wow what what else is there to say about that well it's weird uh wesley gets talked about a few times on this episode but he's actually not in it mm-hmm. we do know though from the first couple of episodes uh, idiotic though he can act he is in fact uh brilliant uh it's weird to me that they're discussing the fate of wesley you know uh, with with nary a thought for wesley mm. like if, like if crusher had said so listen pretty good chance you're gonna die do you want to sleep through it or stay awake you know, yeah. I mean, he's actually old enough at that point. I think he's like 15 yeah. is what they had decided at this point. Right. Uh, he's right. old enough to maybe make that decision. Generally speaking, I wouldn't leave it up to a 15-year-old whether they get to live or die. But, you know, since it's really not going to be up to them, how they want to do it would be sort of a an interesting thing. Of course, you, you, I mean, it's, it's also like a whole episode of, of, of contemplation of mortality. Mm-hmm. Which, mm-hmm. you know, which they don't have time for. Heck, there's not even time to have him focus out on the bridge this week. Right, so. right. I guess we're not going to do that. So, well, so what did you take away from it? I mean, did you just find it interesting that the characters are discussing this stuff without actually hitting anything? Or what was your, like, what did you take away from that? Yeah, well, and, and I guess it's a difficult thing. It's, it, it, like you said, they, they discuss it, but there is no takeaway from that. It, yeah. it, it almost launched a very uncomfortable conversation. And part of that conversation to me would be, well, Dr. Crusher, why aren't you down there with your son who's about to die? You know... Yeah, when when they wake up on the bridge, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. maybe there's a reason. Okay, so he's the captain of the ship, and if something happens, she should be there to, you know, whatever. But mm-hmm. we also know that 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 Picard is not 100% allergic to having 
Wesley on the bridge, yeah. even if he is to other kids. Right. It was kind of weird that she's like, yeah, I'll, I'll be with, uh, well, not my man, of course, because I had a man and this man brought my man back to me dead, but I'll be with him. Yeah. Uh, and, and not with my uh, son, oh. who, who maybe I should actually check whether he did go ahead and freeze to death. Yeah. 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 <laughs> she well, probably left him a lot of blankets just, you know, mm. because, you know, she had the, she had the inside track on where to find those. But there is this uh, also the the part of the conversation that that didn't uh, continue is this idea that okay face it I guess to Picard there's something heroic or or yeah, manly is the wrong word but but at least sincere about facing death awake mm-hmm. and at, and it, I guess I, I guess to that I would say well at this point what is the point. You know, this sounds like a pretty awful fate to freeze to death on a starship that is going to drop down to, you know, below zero, below absolute or yeah, down to absolute zero. Um, but as as Picard helpfully, I'm sorry, as Crusher helpfully pointed out, they'll be dead long before that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So so again, what is the point? The, what is there to be gained by experiencing that moment? Um, I, I don't know. You know, maybe he would have a point if it was something like, um, uh, well, they they are in a battle and there is something that they can do about it up until the last minute. Um, so, I, so I, I don't know. Would I, your vote then be for for taking the sedative? In that case, maybe. Interesting. Maybe. Yeah, I, 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 this is a tough one to grapple with. And I guess that's why I wanted more out of that conversation. Yeah. Because I can kind of understand the the mother's impulse to say, well, here's at least a kind of protection so it's not a terrible, painful thing for him to go through. Well, the mother's impulse and the doctor's impulse, too. And the doctor's I mean, that's impulse. the thing. Why yeah, wasn't she? Yeah. I mean, you know, Bones would have been walking around <laughs> just shooting, just shooting up, everybody yeah. up. Hey, you're not going to feel a thing. Psst, you're not going to feel a thing. Psst, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, a whole, yeah. like sleeping ship full of people freezing to death. Yeah. And there really was nothing that they could do about it because all the control of that had to come from the planet. They, yeah. and they didn't know that they were just relying on the away team to solve that part of the issue so they could all live to see another day. That's kind of a crazy thing too, right? As they're beaming down, Data's like, by the way, we're not going to be able to talk to the ship and we're not going to be able to get back to the ship. Yeah. And, and they don't know, in fact, that they're going to be able to solve anything. I mean, this is a, this is a real last-ditch last ditch maneuver mm-hmm. on their part. Which is, I mean, it's just kind of a fascinating thing. There's really nothing to take away from that except for the stuff that actually happens down on the planet. Can we hit one other thing really quickly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Worf. Okay. And and not his trigger-happy nature because that's Klingon and what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, I sort of wish we hadn't watched The Undiscovered Country before going into Next Gen. If we had done it the way, you know, by the time thing, then I think it would have been three seasons and next gen before we got to Worf. Yeah. Or before we got to, uh, excuse me, the Undiscovered Country. And the only reason I, I wish that is because I'm not sure how our discussions of race and racism around that movie affect my viewing of Worf and his reactions to things. Hmm. There were a couple of things that gave me pause um, where he was concerned in this episode. His reaction to being trapped by the Ferengi was not the reaction of being trapped by an enemy. It was the reaction of being trapped by the Ferengi. I can't remember the exact line, but it's, mm. it's something to the effect of trapped by the damn Ferengi. I mean, That's like it, like the Ferengi. Yeah, you know, yeah, I didn't yeah. know if these were Romulans, I would get it. Or if these were 
other Klingons I would get it, but ugh, the Ferengi, who I've yeah. never seen and don't know anything about, but I have incredible disdain for them based on, you know, apparently hmm. what I've heard. Um, it felt different than being trapped by a regular enemy. Um, it was kind of bizarre to me. But the one that really got to me, though, was when he was fighting the Ferengi. <laughs> and he calls them cretinous pygmies. Now, mm. cretin, I'm fine with. Maybe I shouldn't yeah. be. Maybe I should look up that word. It was the pygmy thing that kind of, that kind of uh, confused me. And mm. so I did a bit of research. And as we record this in 2014... And mm-hmm. when I say research, I read some opinion pieces. I'm not. I'm not going to say. Mm-hmm. You know, I, oh, I I went back and did. You know, uh, deep. Yeah, because it's been a week. Mm. Uh, it, it's it's. There's still confusion in 2014 about whether or not we use this word. Basically, what it seems to come down to to people is, well, do you find it offensive? Mm. Then don't use it. Mm. And 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 the thing that's weird. There's actually a fascinating piece in uh, The Guardian out of the UK that I read. It was one of the things that came up when I just Googled mm-hmm. is use of this term offensive. And, and, and basically what they decided was, yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> They've decided now that they're not going to use it in headlines probably. Or actually the guy who was writing it said probably our style book should be changed. Because it really depends on on what your thought is on this, and there are apparently uh, groups of people who are now starting to call themselves uh, pygmies again to sort of take back that word. Wow, which is which oh. is nuts, right? Yeah, yeah. But the thing that they the thing that they say is um, the, the basic definition of the word is uh, someone of little regard or importance. Hmm. And again, Worf is a warrior. And he is going to denigrate whoever his opponent is, like when he's face to face to them with them. I mean, right. he does say at some point in the episode, you know, we should we should totally, you know, shoot these guys because yeah. they're going to kill us. But there's nothing wrong with you know trying to kill the guy who's going to kill you. I mean, he's got respect for his enemy, except for the Ferengi. <laughs> they're just right. They're just and they're and they're Ferengi. Right. It's 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 kind of a weird. Um, it's just kind of a weird thing. Now, you don't get that same attitude off of anybody else, so maybe it's just a difference with the Klingons versus versus the humans and the android and, you know, whoever else we're dealing with. Especially after all of the discussions that we had, though, in the Undiscovered Country, mm-hmm. which is 75 years, maybe 60 years before this movie, right? Or before, mm-hmm. before where we are now. I mean, they're very keen on the whole, you know, you guys are such racists. <laughs> thing right. in that movie and then Worf is like the, the the racist guy on the enterprise for this episode it's like I mean, against the against the ferengi specifically that is really interesting you know and uh, that makes me kind of think again about the whole idea of the ferengi that they are by design sort of at least in this ugly and they they've got bad teeth and they sort of snarl when they talk and and even their body language their movements they sort of skitter around and they're they're very jumpy like everything is designed about them to be off-putting mm-hmm. to us the klingons yes they were our enemy but you look at tos and you look at the klingons and the romulans there there's at least some recognition of humanity <laughs> in in both of those races. So even if we're fighting them, even if they're the enemies, we kind of get that, uh, okay, Kor is, 
he's conniving, but he's smart. And you look at the Romulan commander and there's a huge amount of respect in that balance of terror. In this, they are designed to be creatures that we do not respect. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's interesting about watching Picard's negotiation with them is he's trying everything he can, every every play out of the book, you know, and it's just not working. Then it comes down to Worf and yeah, he, he's just ready to fight these little guys yeah. and, and they're vicious. Well, and they are vicious. In that well, fight. fight these little guys, but also be denigrating. Yeah. In yeah, ways, yeah, yeah. in ways that, I mean, you did occasionally get, I mean, we've talked about it before in, uh, in, um, was it balance of terror? Mm-hmm. The guy who's going to be racist against Spock because, Oh, well look, he looks like that guy and I hate that guy. So I must hate that guy too. Right. I mean, you'll get mm-hmm. that occasionally, but yeah, it's just completely um, unabashed and warped. There, there's one other thing that's really interesting to me. So, and you brought this up in the in the trivia. These were supposed to be the big bad all the way through. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. What we see as the enemy uh, when this show comes on, what we see yeah. is actually as, as the big deal. Because I mean, the Klingons were a warrior race um, that we sort of likened. I think. Who do we liken to them to most? Were they likened to the Russians? Uh, TOS. They yeah. Well, they end the the Romulans yeah. in particular. Yeah, yeah. It's the lawyers. Yeah, it's the lawyers and the merchants that that, that in, the, in the late eighties, Gene Roddenberry is like, ah, okay. Well, we took care of the Russians, even though we haven't completely yet, but it's coming. So don't worry about it. But oh nice. my goodness, these guys will be like. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're saying I'm a jerk. No, I didn't say you were a jerk. I said a lot of people are jerks who think that. Oh, oh, so now I'm dumb because I misunderstood. I mean, <laughs> they're like, <laughs> I mean, it's almost like it's almost like the enemy is is or, or the concern that he has is for like somebody who's overly litigious in a way and for somebody who's just just concerned about the dollar, yeah. which is crazy because that's going to be your big bad guy all the way through however many seasons <laughs> this goes. Not not that I disagree, but I mean, it's really stunning. I mean, they, they're not. Yeah, they can fight. They're scrappy in a fight and they do yeah. have those energy whips and they'll use them in a heartbeat. But that that that, that your big bad was going to be <laughs> the guy's going to try to pardon my use of this term screw you out of a buck right is 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 kind of mind blowing that that was going to be that was going to be the worst the world had to offer the worlds had to offer in episode 100 tradition it turns out the bar thing was not for me also i found out something captain picard and i have in common kids am i right adults I wonder if the last outpost holds up better than K through 10 forward. It's that time of day when you can say, what do we take away from this episode of, uh, of Star Trek? Uh, Star Trek The Next Generation this time. This is the part where we you know, sort of go over the messages, morals, and meanings like we discussed earlier and figure out um, figure out what we can walk away with. And figure out whether the whole thing holds up. Let's start with that, John. Does um, the last outpost hold up? You know, it's interesting. We came off of The Naked Now and Code of Honor. Mm-hmm. And when I watched The Last Outpost for the first time, I, I just, to me, it was a revelation. It was like, oh, wow, everything is better. It is shot better. It is directed better. It feels more like the successor to Encounter at Farpoint. Um the, the the sets, the makeup, the costumes, they're all designed better. Um, I, I love 
just the oversized Ferengi faces in the view screen. <laughs> Although it's kind of funny. They're like, oh, there was something about his transmission that was distorted. And it's like, well, he was on the camera. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> he right. Was does not keep a respectful distance Could have from bumped one of his giant ears into the right. camera. That's how close he was. Well, and, and he's sort of his eyes are looking around the bridge and yeah. it even says, I heard that when uh, when Data makes some comment. Uh, I just thought that was really, really cool. Um, and I love the idea of the portal. Um, I, I love the vastness of the galaxy that we start to paint here that we didn't always get in the original series. I like the idea of an empire that is so big and so long lasting and so powerful that then stops being that one day the, mm-hmm. the, the the sort of putting this spin of humility maybe on what we have um but for all of the good that this show accomplishes with letting humans make a case for themselves again something that i really uh liked i kind of wondered if the win wasn't a little too easy because again i'm bothered by this idea that the the portal and the humans on the enterprise are just a little too similar and we just sort of leave out the Fringe. We really don't learn anything from that with them, <laughs> you know. Um, it, it's sort of like, well, the the humans and the the, the remnants of the Takana Empire. Well, they're they're a little more like us, so so we're okay. Um, something else that really bothered me: uh, the dialogue between Yar and the Fringe is just terrible, just awful. <laughs> The pause off and just try it shorty really made me cringe. Um, So I'm sort of halfway on this one. I feel like it holds up in the respect that we're getting back on track. Mm -hmm. This is starting to feel much more like Star Trek than the last two. And had this maybe come right after Encounter at Farpoint and we just forgot those other two episodes, then we would have been off to a much better start. There are things that bother me about it, but um, wow, compared to those last two, sure, I'll take this any day of the week. Over yeah, the last two. Yeah, the weird thing is there was actually an important thing that happens. I mean, we you you talk about Data's sort of illustration of who the Federation is in this episode. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. We get uh, a more explicit explanation of who the Federation is in Code of Honor when they're talking about uh, the Prime Directive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you just so easily forget it because you want to block the rest of that episode out. Right. Right. I mean, it's just, it, which is too bad because yeah. I mean, that actually is a good examination of who we, who we are, who we say we want to be. I really appreciate the fact that this teaches us a lot about the Ferengi. And I kept talking about, I, I, I definitely hit more of the details in the recap on the Ferengi than we have before, because we've learned a ton about them in mm-hmm. this episode. Very obvious that they, I mean, I, I did not know that they were going to be the enemy, but very obvious that this is a race that we're going to, that we're going to see again. We don't learn right. nearly as much about the Takan. It's like, oh, yeah, these guys were big, and then they died, and now here's this guy, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of like every other godlike race that we've ever come across in the original (laughs) series. Oh, yeah, here are these people, and we know this much about them, and it's because we only need to know this much about them. Don't get comfortable with the portal because he's not going to be around again, Mm -hmm. right? The Ferengi, on the other hand, we are just learning stuff about them left, right, and center. Yeah. Um, You got a problem with Yar in this episode? I got a problem with LaForge. He is just over-the-top congenial and enthusiastic in this episode. Yeah. Um, if there's one thing I don't like, it's it's enthusiastic, congenial people. <laughs> um, there's a little too much reading Rainbow coming off LeVar Burton in this. There's a little too much playing to 8- to 10-year-olds rather than grown-ups. 
And that's not a big thing, except, you know, every like like Riker, who, by the way, is not going to become the head of engineering and LaForge is Riker's the one who has the idea about, hey, we could do this thing and do that thing and then we'll get away. And 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 it's like he just it's it's like he just told a stone guy that there's a Kit Kat in the other room. I mean, <laughs> LaForge is just so excited. That's the best thing ever. Yeah. And then you know the whole thing with uh, with data and the and the finger puppet and all that stuff, or the finger not finger puppet, that, it's the finger trap. Right? That's my favorite episode actually. It's, it's they just walk around with finger puppets. Great. Yeah, it's yeah. the best. Um, hey, that's and that's a really minor thing. It's just I, I think with the exception of Denise Crosby, who we've kind of written off, I think for the most part, like we're going to get her yelling almost every episode. Right. I'm sorry, John. It sounds like my tank has arrived, so I'll try <laughs> to keep this part short. Um, we know that we're going to get Denise Crosby yelling all the time. And, mm-hmm. and and certainly, I mean, maybe it's the direction. Maybe it's the fact that these guys are still trying to find their characters. What's amazing to me is I remember Data. I remembered Brent Spiner being a lot more uneven in the beginning. He's actually fairly nuanced um, yeah. so far uh, through the series, uh, through the parts we've gotten through, through all four episodes that we've gotten through uh, to this point. Um. All of that said, after the last two episodes, this episode is just awesome. Um, yeah. I like that we seem to be getting a more subdued, more grown-up Federation, and a more grown-up Star Trek, in a way. Um, you get the sense that this could be Kirk's organization 70 or 80 years later. Uh, less cowboy diplomacy and more, you know, older, wiser, French guy diplomacy. Um, with an English accent. Yeah, well said. Um, what about messages here? Um, I, I felt like there are a lot of messages throughout this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it, to me, it, you know, obviously the big one is know when to fight and know when not to fight. See, I thought, uh, that, I thought that was kind of subtle, but it was there. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, and how about in a different way? Keep your cool if you're being threatened. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's sort of another way to look at that. Um, and uh, exploration and cultural exchange are their own reward. No profit necessary. That kind of goes back to that discussion of, uh, if not just capitalism outright, the overreach of capitalism, the profit at any cost. Um, Picard and uh, Riker both sort of make the point about, look, the, the, this is just who we are. This is what we do. And we're not expecting anything in return for it. Um and, uh, hey, how about uh, we're all ugly to someone? Uh, just a better perspective. <laughs> uh, speak for yourself, pal. <laughs> um, what about you? Anything else? E- I think it was actually a very important idea, uh, the, the whole thing of paying attention to what's going on around you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that thing looks like it's attacking you, but it might not actually be the thing that's attacking you. And you'll mm-hmm. get conspiracy-minded people all of the time saying, you know, this group of people is being pitted against this group of people by this third group of people to sort of keep the attention off of them so they can do what they want. Right. Yeah, the thing is that's actually, I mean, that's totally plausible in many <laughs> many situations, right? I mean, the, the, the planet was what was holding them. The planet was the man. Right. Right. <laughs> and the right. man yeah. was keeping them down, but the way the man was keeping them down was by making them think, hey, your enemy's over there. Oh, oh and look at him. He's your enemy too. And pay no attention to me. I'll just be here Um sucking all the energy off of you and benefiting which is you know maybe taking it a little far except they actually showed an illustration of that happening (laughs) yeah right there may there may also be sort of an idea of lead by example here i mean that's sort of undercut a little bit when Riker is standing there talking to the portal about the ferengi as if the ferengi aren't there saying no no they remind us of us so let's not kill them but i mean there is a bit of lead by example possibility here though where 
while the Ferengi were completely ready to kill Riker and kill the Enterprise, mm -hmm. uh, Riker's, you know, the Federation is not going to do that. Yeah, I understand. You were ready to do that. So, you know, think about that next time you're ready to do it again. So, and I, I would assume that we both agree that those messages hold up. Yeah. Um, there yeah except for the part where you've got me as ugly by somebody's standards <laughs> otherwise otherwise i'm with you on all of it okay cool and by the way you're a handsome man too okay you might be underselling yourself there a bit. okay well thank you thank you i appreciate that no, um, no problem at all next week yes there is still more to come as we go where no one has gone before Some of the music formation log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. I also considered jumping a shark for episode 100, or going to Hawaii, or accidentally getting married in Las Vegas. File these away for episode 200. And transmission.